Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there will be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. Do you like your stories told through pictures? Then you can also follow us at Real Nerds on Instagram. You can also call us, 720-6-NERDS-5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. This is Real Nerds Podcast. And for 10 years, the Real Nerds Podcast have been seeing a new movie and podcasting our experience of the world. This week, we saw Nomadland. Stay tuned to the end of the episode, where we will tell you you should see the film, play the trailer, and then spoil a movie about nothing. And um, yeah, but I'm joined by my normal bullpen of screwballs on Zoom. Brad. Hey. Zach. I'm going to get you back in on this paper, baby. You just watch. Corinne, I bring up the blacklist all the time. <laughs> what? You're the one who brought it up today, Ryan, not me. False. Corinne, is your last name? I bring up the blacklist all the time. Irish or British? I can't tell. <laughs> I, I can't and tell. How it's false it. is because we were talking about comic books earlier. And Corinne said, um, you know, you made fun of me for bringing up the blacklist. And you're talking about comic books. That's how it got brought up, not me. Yeah, but I meant on the show. The listeners uh, yeah. don't know that. They weren't privy to our earlier conversation. But they could sense it. <laughs> Again, I was going to spare you from talking about the blacklist this time around. Yeah. So thanks yeah, for bringing it up. you can still spare me from it, so please don't. But now, now, Corinne, now you have to unload with an entire synopsis of the first season for it. In, in, in chronolo- every episode detailed for him hey now. zach shut the fuck up okay <laughs> is there but but ryan i want to be here all night <laughs> you know is, is there ryan, their articles they're on our website realnerdspodcast.com you there, better you better be prepared if i ever do a rewatch of the series <laughs> you better just be prepared i kind of want to do no. a podcast now with corinne called corinne explains the blacklist to zach <laughs> corinne you're not allowed to bring it up on the podcast anymore you can write about it all you want on the on the website because i don't have to read the article i just have to share it is there a draft in here? Or is that Corinne talking about the blacklist? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a deep fucking cut too. <laughs> Love it. Get it. Anyways, we also talk about movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, movie news, and things we've been watching throughout the week. And I don't think we have anything going on around town. I think everybody's caught up on all their uh, uh, other stuff. But we do have um, the band that contributes to our film Splosion episode with the theme song has a new album coming out. Brad, can you talk about that? Uh, that's right. Uh, Bolonium is releasing a new album on March 2nd. Um, I think it's just streaming, but it's called Full of It. And it's a, you know, a bunch of new songs by them. Um, a bit more of a somber, uh, less, I, I, I wouldn't say it's as comical as their past albums, but uh uh, it's it's a more mature sound, uh, probably a little bit of a, a little incorporates a, bit, a little bit of the malaise of being uh, you know trapped in in mm-hmm. inside for a year. 
So, yeah. uh, and I, I've heard the whole I think thing. You're, I think you're setting, have you heard it, Brad? Yeah. They, yeah, uh, they so share have the, Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I, I feel like you're setting me up because if I know those guys, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I, it's, it's still silly, but it's, it's the, it's their brand of silly that they're known for that they, they excel at, but it is a little bit more, I would call it darker. Um, yeah, I think it's just more mature. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's not just overtly silly. It's, little more introspective um a little bit somber but there's songs that there's songs in it that was just like man like i would really like to try to stick this in some kind of like little dark comedy somewhere if i ever like wrote something like that like i could picture it in the back like it's a really good album so i'm hoping people check it out and they've already uh made a bunch of music videos for it that they're gonna that they they all kind of form one single movie Mm-hmm. So uh look for those two when they come out. But yeah, um definitely check it out. I think on Spotify. Nice. I believe so, yeah. Definitely YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um maybe iTunes. Well, yeah. Um and actually like in conjunction with that, Zach Bynes is starting his own show. So uh, That's right. I made his you- logo for Talk and Troma. Yeah, talking Tremond. I will be a guest. I'm already. I've already recorded my episode with him. I'll be a guest on his show. Uh, within its run, we talked about the movie Squeeze Play, um, which is more than a fascinating talk. So stick around for that. Uh, but yeah, congratulations to Zach and Richard for putting out some content amidst the amidst the insanity of the world. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, good luck to those guys. Always cool to have them uh, put out new stuff. And they've always been really great with us. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll never forget meeting them for the first time when they snuck into Denver Comic-Con when they (laughs) didn't have passes. And they chose our podcast to advertise on. They did. It was a smart choice. I got to say, I've been re-listening to a lot of the recent Film Explosion episodes, and it's been really fun to hear the theme song. I'm, gl- I'm so glad we actually have a theme song for Film Explosion episodes. I know, they, they knocked cool. out of the park. It's great. And it's hella catchy. I, I, there's a part of me that will always miss the little uh, highlight reels Brad would put together, but I love that theme song too much to replace it, so... I mean, yeah. there's always a possibility that I guess this would have to be Brad's call to do like the theme song at the beginning and then do like the little clip thing at the end or vice versa. But well, if you guys know, get me your list sooner, um, maybe I'll have more time uh, to do some montages. Yeah, I mean, you could be really cool like me. I've already sent him his ni- your 1981 list, right, Brad? That's right, Ryan. Ryan's on top of things. He's the best. Thank oh, you, Brad. Shoot, I've already sent Brad my 1981 list. Cool. That'll be useful in the summer. (laughs) Brad, I didn't send you any lists because I apparently don't respect you. (laughs) Clearly not. It's like you're managing your own show or something. Yeah, it's almost as if though I'm two days behind on a four-hour episode on The Searchers. God damn it. You're a piece of shit. Finally, someone I was listening it. to like your Aww. two episodes ago and like it came on. I looked at the the time thing. I was like, four hours? Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) How is this four hours? It's a film explosion. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm giving them quantity, not quality. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the the one we did on the haunting it was a fun one to do, but it won't compare to the one that Ryan and I did on To Be or Not to Be, or it's the probably one the greatest one you've ever had. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, Ryan, I really liked having the talk with you 
like in the midst of that Benny fever that I was on because like we had like a really sincere discussion about how actors get like fudged around in Hollywood then and now. Um, yep. But actually, since Corinne's here, like we've already talked because I owe her a release of her Pride and Prejudice commentary, but she's going to do Laurence Olivier Pride and Prejudice from the 40s with me on the show. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. I'm so always down to talk about Pride and Prejudice. Ev- everybody here on the show has done an episode now or has booked be- to do an episode, except for a certain bearded gentleman who is now raising a second child. <laughs> I'm going to call him out, apparently. Actually, he... He's picked. He's picked his movies. We just have to find a time to catch him and wrangle him in. Um, yeah, him and his family. Yeah, just, well, just talk bad about Ryan Johnson. He'll show up. <laughs> you know. You know what I couldn't stand, guys. You know what I couldn't fucking stand. Knives Out and The Last Jedi. I just couldn't fucking stand that bullshit. <laughs> oh wait, shit, guys! Somebody's pounding at my fucking door. <laughs> well, there's a disturbance in the force. I senses. Open up. <laughs> He has to come out for uh, Film Explosion 81, so... If you say anything oh, yeah. bad about Brick, I swear! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, he can't be gone for too long. No, oh, God. I want, that, I want that Knives Out sequel super bad, though. <laughs> anyway. Cool. This what is movie this? news! It's real news! Um, good news for our East Coast friends, if we have any. Uh, looks like uh, New York City is going to be reopening movie theaters next month at limited capacity. Uh, starting in early March, they will be uh, there will be restrictions. Twenty five percent limited capacity, or no more than fifty people in one auditorium. So basically, what we're doing out here: um, uh, masks, assigned seating, social distancing, staff to control con- occupancy. Traffic and seating to ensure compliance, uh, said Governor Cuomo. Uh, they need to. They need the enhanced air filtration, ventilation, and purification standards that the DOH has specified. <laughs> so yeah, um, y'all can y'all on the East Coast can go back to your movie theaters. So Henry, get ready to go back to the to the theater. So I have a funny story about Henry. I uh, been watching Most Extreme Challenge with Kellen. And for those who don't know what Most Extreme Challenge is, it's this comedy show where these dudes dubbed over a Japanese game show. And uh, one of the contestants this morning was named Henry Jarvis. Nice. <laughs> yeah. How did he do? Uh, he, he was eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly or? Uh, I can't remember. I think he was one of the dudes. Remember the one where they run across the pond? Uh-huh. Yeah, he was one of the dudes who like wiped out on that. <laughs> Find that clip and put Henry's head on it. Yeah, so I was watching and I was telling Laura they can't make the show anymore because there's a it's like so politically incorrect. They had this one where uh, uh, her lady name was Laqueef. <laughs> like, oh my god! <laughs> How did they get this past everybody? <laughs> uh... Anyways, yep. You were saying, Zach? <laughs> no, I was going to say, I don't remember the sh- I, I remember the show, but I don't remember where it aired, like what channel it aired on. Uh, Spike, Spike TV. Right? Yeah. Spike TV? Okay. All right. That makes sense. That's how they got away with it, Ryan. It was Spike TV. <laughs> like- <laughs> right. 
Didn't, weren't they the ones that put out Stripperella? That makes the most sense. Uh, sure. I don't remember. I did used to watch it all the time because it was a network for men. Sure, let's go with that. That's what its tag was, right? I Pat? know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Thank you. That's I true. Shit up. Are they still like around or did they get like G Ford? No, it's like uh what it's some different channel now. Wow. I forget. I'm not even Yeah, I can't remember. Anyways. Uh, is there more news? news? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, we got some trailers. Um, we got a Corella trailer, which, um, yeah, sure. Uh, Brad, you're more the Emma Stone expert. What do you think of this? Oh, Cruella. Yeah, Cruella. Sorry if it's made. I was like, I Corella, I like uh, the people who make those plates? like. <laughs> <laughs> no, Umbrella, the story of me in the rain. No, Cruella DeVille. No, I, I, I actually immediately downloaded it and then put it side by side with the Joker trailer because <laughs> they were so similar and yeah, they lined up a bit. <laughs> I never, I never finished exporting it, but yeah, it's a, uh, whoever's editing those trailers definitely has a formula. That that made sense when you texted that, uh, like, I like, I, I like, uh, I like skinning dogs and making into a coat and I'm tired of pretending I'm not. <laughs> Yeah, that's I, I was. That was a YouTube comment I read. I was like, "That's oh, really? perfect." <laughs> yeah, that's oh, uh, that's the vibe from the trailer. I, I'm sure she'll be great in it. Yeah, should but, be fun. Um, but it is weird that it is, you know, how Disney's embracing. Well, I guess they embrace the villain and with Maleficent, but um, it's just it just it's so much like the Joker movie <laughs> in the trailer. So somebody yeah. on YouTube beat you to it, Brad. Yeah, I know. That's I said I I took that quote from YouTube. I know, but I mean, like somebody actually uploaded the two trailers side by side. Oh shit! I gotta check that out then. Because <laughs> yeah, I did the first Joker trailer. I think it is shorter than the Cruella one, so I never got around to getting the the longer one. But yeah, I bet they line up pretty well. What other Disney villains could they do a spinoff movie of? Like, what else uh, is there? Really? What's his name from the Rescuers Down Under? Yeah, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I keep saying George C. Scott in my head, McLeach, who's <laughs> voiced by George C. Scott. Yep. Um, Radigan. They haven't done the the witch from Snow White. Um, no. The they haven't done Mr. any of Wink. like the Dark Age movies. They haven't really touched those. The they bear do... from Fox and the Hound. Yeah, modern ones. You could do Jafar. You could do. Um, well, they already did Aladdin. So. Ursula. I think they are doing an Ursula. They should well, they're do. They're doing a new Little Mermaid. Well, I mean, they're not doing a the villain side of it. I mean, they they've done Sleeping Beauty, but they made Maleficent. So. Hmm. Well, I'll, here I'll do some. I'll try a deep cut here. Mister Winky from uh, Ichabod and Mister Toad, um, and it's his perspective on why he scammed Mister Toad. Ursula would actually kind of make sense because, you know, you could totally see it from her side where, like, you did sign that contract and yeah, I like, yeah, followed like, through on my end. You're just like, look, like, you, it wasn't, I didn't sign the paper, you did. Sorry, tough luck, princess. Okay, we all know that the best Disney villain property out there 
is, is Willie the Giant. <laughs> no, Disney's House of Villains. Oh, the from the Mouse House of Mouse cartoon yes. show. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I forgot. Do you remember the song, Corinne? It's our house now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's your villain fix right there. Oh, that happened. Yep. <laughs> hey, Ryan, who would be the villain of Pinocchio? Oh, Stromboli. Okay. What? But what about that whale? <laughs> you mean a whale of a Monstro? whale? he's just being a whale doing whale stuff you know yeah i mean that's a good question because you know pinocchio is more of like you know yes i mean it could be honest john honest john Um, oh my god i would love an honest john movie where he just where he's scheming his way through freaking vaudeville (laughs) isn't pinocchio his own villain for lying yeah you know he is oh Yeah, th- thus making it the deepest of all the films, <laughs> which actually, uh, yeah, Pinocchio is the greatest Disney animated film. You're right. Who, who, who's the villain in Dumbo? Because I know we already did Dumbo, but I want a different Dumbo movie, not the one we got. Uh, it's the uh, it's the circus people. The circus people. Okay, so <laughs> so it's just a movie about shitty audiences. <laughs> it's booze. No, <laughs> no, the people that run the circus and oh, the other okay, elephants. Gotcha. Okay, then we, I guess, yeah, then we technically got that. Oh, yeah, from the side of the snooty elephants. And they have to talk this time. I don't want any of this non-talking animals nonsense. Now, um, if anything, they should do something about the horned king from the Black Cauldron. Make that no. thing profitable for once. Then Black Cauldron's garbage. Then Brad would be the only one who buys a ticket. <laughs> there are parts of it that are bad, but I no, think, it's, like... it's not good. I think everything with the Horned King is like really cool. And John Hurt did an excellent job with uh, voicing him. You going to talk bad about John Hurt, Ryan? Hmm? No, nobody's going to talk bad about John Hurt. Relax. Fight you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If I had to pick a thing I never wanted to see is John Hurt in the Black Cauldron. There, I said it. You don't have to worry. He's dead. Okay, good. <laughs> Don't you remember, Ryan? I eulogized him on this show not too long, like years ago. <laughs> um, but here, wh- wh- why don't we get onto a trailer that everybody, even I, enjoyed? Um, so, everybody, get over here. Uh, we got a trailer for Mortal Kombat. And, guys, this movie looks fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, really I think it looks badass, it. but I'm really biased. So, yeah. you know. I, I mean, like, I was what? more curious what you guys think, you being the experts and all. When I saw Sub-Zero freeze Scorpion's own blood and then stab that it back cool. into him, like, that's like, oh, cool. Someone's actually d- being inventive about this. Or just how Jax gets his metal arms. That's pretty <laughs> awesome, too. In, the, in game continuity, he gets his arms ripped off by Ermac. But um, I read an interview with the director, and I guess uh, Sub-Zero is one of the main villains in the film which yeah. makes sense because in game lore he scorpia ends up killing him which sets the tables for noob cybot who's cole is that a new thing for the movie yeah that's a new thing for the movie i don't know why they just don't use johnny cage but i'm hoping that there's a reason behind it <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm not gonna lie oh. I saw the trailer and I was like, I felt like I just watched this movie because it felt a lot like Scorpion's Revenge. Yeah, the director said the first uh, like 15 minutes of it is how uh, Scorpion becomes Scorpion. So oh, great. 
I'm guessing they yeah, didn't but... do Johnny Cage because he's based on Van Damme, and that's like kind of an old reference. So uh, maybe, but I guess because I mean, if you're gonna... <laughs> the cat, but guess, like yeah. Cassie Cage is like so integral to the modern story, you'd think. Yeah, they're gonna continue doing modern movies. He'd have to be in there. Yeah, we'll see. But they did have a quick shot of Goro, which was cool. And, and I'm guessing uh, uh, Kano is gonna betray the team and like get his face blown off. Uh, well, I think in this one he just has the laser eye. I didn't. So did he have a? Face oh yeah, thing? he shoots it. He shoots it. Yeah. In the trailer. Yeah. He just, he just doesn't have like the metal part. Yeah. Okay. But he also has. You know my favorite line in the trailer where he's looking at a heart. He's like fucking beauty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, because Kano's not a good guy, so he has to betray Sonya at some point. Yeah, that's what we'll I figured. Um, all right, and then I've got uh, three more pieces of news for you guys. Um, uh, Ryan, it, your your Doctor Strange sequel is looking even more Sam Raimi ish all the time because love yeah, it. Danny Elfman's going to do the score for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I'm okay with that, too. I have a theory, Ryan. You want to hear my theory? Mm-hmm. So Sam Raimi, he signed on to direct the Doctor Strange sequel. He's got Danny Elfman doing the score. And on the other side of the fence, we have the Spider-Man movie bringing back Tobey Maguire somehow. My theory is this is all a cover-up and that Sam Raimi is actually directing Spider-Man 3 so that he makes the Spider-Man 3 he wants to make and not what the studio tells him to make. Like it's a very complicated web that I call conspiracy theory. <laughs> um, although, uh, although I'm not going to lie, I'm probably wrong, and this is just going to be a great Doctor Strange movie. So. Oh no, that'd be awesome! Sam Raimi oh, yeah. is a hell of a director, and it's true. It's true. <laughs> and he's doing a horror slash comic book movie. It's going to be fucking awesome. Oh my god, Sam Raimi related. I finally picked up Inside Lewin Davis, uh, the Blu-ray from Criterion, and there was an interview with Del Toro and the Coen Brothers. And they obviously mentioned Sam Raimi. And uh, at last, for the first time ever in a Criterion set, I see a picture of Sam Raimi included in their special features. I'm like, he made it. <laughs> he fucking made it. Took it. Took him goddamn long enough. I don't want Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness Criterion, please. <laughs> um, or, you know I'm what? Surprised. The one, the simple plan seems like the most Criterion of his movies. Who owns that movie? I don't know who. Not 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 audience wise, like studio wise. I don't remember. Which is Simple Plan? Yeah, who put it out? Uh, I don't know. It's... I think it's Touchstone, maybe. Touchstone. Okay, that's why we don't have it. All right, because they won't put out they won't put out the Lady Killers on Blu-ray either. But whatever, you know. They, it's as if though Disney doesn't want to listen to me, but whatever. Um, moving on to another streaming service, though. I'm bringing this up not because of my love of the director, only because I find this interesting. Um, so Scorsese is doing a movie called Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, set at Apple now with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. And originally DiCaprio was playing the lead role of an FBI agent who's investigating um, some people's. And, wow, it's um, so weird that Martin Scorsese bashed streaming and his last two movies are going to only be available on streaming. He's 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 more questioning the idea of how how they're becoming content and not pieces of cinema. It's a whole other discussion. He did it in a Fellini essay. I don't know why people are blowing this out of proportion. Um, but anyway, they've cast Jesse Plemons now in the role of the FBI agent. And there's a reason behind this that I found interesting. And Ryan, I kind of want your thoughts on this. So basically the story the story concerns how members of the Osage nation are targeted for murder in 1920s Oklahoma. Okay. Plemons is now set to play 
the FBI agent investigating the murders, which leads him to the nephew of a wealthy landowner. Um, DiCaprio is now playing the nephew of this landowner and thus the more villainous role. Um, originally, when this movie was at Paramount, part of the condition apparently for DiCaprio being cast in the movie was that he would be playing the more heroic FBI role. And the more they got into production, the more they realized that Leo should be playing the more villainous character. And once they went to Apple, they were finally able to do it. So, like, that's interesting that Paramount is kind of stipulating, if you're going to give me Leonardo DiCaprio, give us Leonardo DiCaprio, we need to have him play a more traditional heroic lead. I don't know what the heck that means. Like, are we going back to the studio era, literally, where it's just like, no, Bogey can only play a good guy now because now we've had him in something like Casablanca. So now he can only play a good guy role. Well, like, I don't know if I could believe that because I'm pretty sure Leonardo DiCaprio can do whatever he wants. And then he play a villain in Django Unchained. He did, but like I'm my if I had to take a guess, this is Paramount going like, look, we're not going to give this makes the mo- this makes sense on Paramount's end. To be fair, Martin Scorsese, we can't give you two hundred million dollars to make a movie we can't guarantee will make back its two hundred million dollars like this movie like there's no guarantee that that much money being put into this movie is going to guarantee the box office back so if you're gonna do it put leonardo dicaprio in a traditional good guy role like financially i guess that makes sense but it just felt weird because i'm just like i didn't realize that this is what bigger studios are having to do now and that's why streaming is like the preferred option for these guys now is because like they're not interfering like apple's clearly not interfering with anything as far as I can tell, because they're putting up the financial back end on it now. So I just found that fascinating to be like, is it really like, and also like, to be fair, like Rick Dalton's not a good guy either. Like he's an alcoholic wash up. <laughs> yeah. He's the hero at the end of the movie, but like you spend two and a half hours with Rick Dalton being an asshole. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, I just found that fascinating, but yeah, uh, look for, Killers of the Flower Moon, and uh, yeah, if you want to read Scorsese's article and debate it online, that's fine. I'm tired of having that headache conversation. Can I move on to the final and best piece of news of the week, guys? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Yes, so this is for Henry Jarvis uh, aficionados. Um, if we're good and we're right, then the world will be right when we get Paddington 3 because it's an ef- officially enacted development. Studio Canal is working Yay! very hard on Paddington three. Now here comes the part of the show where we speculate on the plot. My, my proposal still remains that we need to make this the dark Knight rises of the Paddington trilogy because it needs to es- It needs to escalate. Something needs to come back from Paddington's past to completely haunt him. Um, and then he has to rise to the occasion and sacrifice himself for all of London. Um, I don't know to stop Brexit or something. I don't know. <laughs> um yeah i don't don't care as long as they get everybody in the cast back including peter capaldi because i want peter capaldi yeah everybody yeah yep yep who's the who's the villain that's the speculation now because they've already done nicole kidman they've already done hugh grant I think Hugh Grant should come back as like a Hannibal Lecter to consult. Hugh Laurie? (laughs) (laughs) Hugh Laurie. Oh, that's too obvious. Just keep all the Hughes together. (laughs) You know who it should be? Ian McKellen. 
Make him like a ma- no. Just him- let him retire. No, he's, no, no. He's getting old. No, no, Did you no. see his whole thing in Cats? Just let, just let the man go. Uh, let from, him go. from all I've heard, he's apparently the best musical number in Cats. So I don't want. Um, I don't know, Patrick Stewart. I like, will, I will contemplate this. I will get back to you because I know a bunch of British people. <laughs> Ooh, Idris Elba. Get Idris Elba on that. Idris Elba as the villain in Paddington. I kind of want to see that fight between them now. <laughs> Paddington goes up against Black Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Black Superman. Well, I'm like Paddington. <laughs> he wants marmalade. <laughs> hey, if he's from South America, why does he have a British accent? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, think the British colonized South America? <laughs> yes, Corinne. The reasoning is because the white devil. <laughs> um, no, actually, Benedict. No, not Benedict Cumberbatch. Martin Freeman, because it's the casting you'd least expect to be the villain. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I. I'm saying Martin Freeman for the villain in Paddington Three. If anybody disagrees with me, unless it's Henry. Henry's allowed to disagree with me because he's the Paddington scholar, as noted by several different occurrences on the real nerds podcast, but I'm going Martin Freeman for this. All right. And that's news. Unless I missed anything. These are Blu-rays coming out next week. DVD releases the Blu-rays. Or this week, or yeah. it might be a week behind because Brad hasn't released the uh, episodes on time. Um, I, I, I mean, I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, 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 do you need me to come over there and, you know, tell you it's going to be okay? No, stay away from me. Good. <laughs> that, that's, that's my, your gift to me. <laughs> you know, in, in a way, you know, while we're recording episodes, you know, and then other ones are dropping, it's, you know, we're not, we're not leaving people a week of not having anything. If you, if you think True. about it. Yeah. True. That's fair. And also, yeah. nobody's like, and also we don't have like sponsorships, so nobody's like paying for paying us to do this. So <laughs> we kind of make the rules. <laughs> I know it's okay. awesome. I have a pitch for you on who should be the villain for Paddington Three. Okay. It shouldn't be just one. It should be a duo. It could be brother, sister, husband, wife, whatever. Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson. That's my pitch. Ooh. Ah. You see, the problem with Kenneth Branagh ultimately is, is that I just saw him play a villainous spy in Tenet, and I kind of don't want him to go down evil territory again. Get, Plus, he'll uh, want to direct it. So Yeah, and, and we don't need... I don't need Dutch angles all over Paddington 3. <laughs> no, that's um, another guy. No, well, Tom Hooper does that, but <laughs> Thor. Remember the first Thor? Dutch angle city, my friend. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Like, how many times did you see that camera clock rotate at least 30 degrees clockwise one way or the other? I know I did. That's that's a Marvel rotate. That's not necessarily a Dutch angle. How many other rotations have you seen in the Marvel movies that you can, like, point out bit for bit? I don't remember any single one. (laughs) I barely remember the Thor one. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll put together a compilation one of these days and show you all the Dutch angles. Corinne, look up Dutch angles in Marvel movies and send that YouTube video to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> all 
Um, anyway, Blu-ray. I have nothing better to do. <laughs> Speaking of nothing better to do, if you have nothing better to do and you want to buy some Blu-rays this week, why not start with Pump Up the Volume from Warner Archive, uh, the 1990s. Oh, my gosh. Either our, my phone is listening to us or something, because the first thing that popped up was Dutch Angles in Thor. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, uh, if you want something newer, though, you can get The Crudes, A New Age in 4K. Ryan, you've got a kid. Have you seen this movie yet? I have not. Okay. If you see it, let us know how The Crudes, A New Age is. I think um, it's actually still in theaters. <laughs> it is. It's the number one film this weekend. <sighs> Uh, if anybody wants a John Hughes five pack, uh, they can get that. It consists of planes, trains, and automobiles. Ferris Bueller's day off. She's having a baby pretty in pink and some kind of wonderful. So yeah, if you want some John Hughes in your life, uh, check it out. I actually Sweet. like, she can also a baby. read my article. I just posted of, uh, the pretty in pink Blu-ray, my number 13 best Blu-ray from last year. Was that a Paramount classics release, Ryan? It was. Okay, so yeah, please go to the website and read Ryan's article on Pretty in Pink instead of picking up this multi-pack that has, I mean, albeit I kind of like this cover, but, you know, it's the five-pack and that, anyway, moving on. Ryan, do you like, do you, have you seen the remake of Showboat that they did in 1951? No. Okay, well, if you ever feel the need to do that, Warner Archive has got your back. Uh, this is the one that features Ava Gardner. Uh, so yeah, want to check out show, but you can, or you can watch the Irene Dunn version, which has Paul Robeson in it, uh, and has some fantastic imagery afoot. Um, so yeah. Uh, and then Scream Factory is putting out a double feature of the terror within and the terror within too. Uh, Ryan, what are these? Uh, those are Roger Corman films and they're only, um, available on their website. And they're almost oh. sold out, so if you want them, you might want to get them. I didn't know. These are New World films? Yikes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I like I like Corman stuff when, when the mood strikes from the late 80s, if I remember right. I remember I rented one of them from Blockbuster. They're not good. Oh, it's 89 and 91. I I guess my Corman knowledge usually goes from like the 60s into the like the mid to late 70s. So, all right. I know I like Rock and Roll High School a lot and the the films he did with Vincent Price and stuff. So uh anywho, moving on. Uh a movie called Forgotten Jolly Volume Three. Uh it's a collection. I'm sorry, my bad. Uh that's coming from Vinegar Syndrome. So you'll get some Jolly films. Uh you'll get the films uh Autopsy, Murder Mansion, Crazy Desirers of a Murderer. So yeah, if you want that you can check that out. Uh a movie called Wrong Turn from 2021. I did I miss something? Did we remake Wrong Turn and I'm not aware of it? <laughs> they did, and you did. <laughs> what, 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 Ryan, how many? How did we not? How did we not try to review this? What the heck? <laughs> um, well, I don't know if you know what happened in 2020. There's this thing called the coronavirus pandemic. We had a and, pandemic, uh, <laughs> and films that were supposed to come out did not make it. But, 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 but you, that was but, one you, of them. You can't remake wrong turn without there being a bigger hoopla about it because then we can get a remake of wrong turn Two, directed by joe lynch like uh and it's written by alan b McElroy. what the hell how did i ah damn it ah uh, okay i'm gonna check this movie out and report back 
I don't remember liking the first wrong turn anyway. So, um, and then Hitcher in the Dark, uh, which it's a lady. She's standing in front of uh, uh, looks like a city and looks like she's about to start some shit. And there's a guy with sunglasses and shades looking like I'm going to get you, lady. So find out what happens to that lady and hit her in the dark. Um, And then a movie called The All Nighter from Kino Lorber from 1987. Looks like that's what happens when you date me girls an all nighter. See, I've been married for almost 10 years on Brad, Friday. can you kick Ryan off? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a Zach joke right there. That, <laughs> no, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'd blush before I'd try to make that joke. <laughs> um, anyway, um, Man Push Cart from 2005. Um, this is a movie I've seen. It's by Ramin Barani. Uh, and if you would like to check it out, it's a nice little art house film, not too dissimilar from the film we watched today, except with a much lower budget. And also from Ramin Barani, an even better film, Chop Shop from 2007. Uh, so, yeah, you can check those out if you'd like. Um, On Moonlight Bay, coming from Warner Archive with Doris Day and Gordon McRae. Um, so, yeah, get some Doris Day in your life, guys. You can also get my. Yeah, like the time tours. you became a. a- <laughs> singing quartet we were sailing along on that's a that's a season like two freaking family guy joke <laughs> oh yeah what was the what's the setup is peter's in the bar in the in the quartet right yeah something okay. like i don't remember fuck um well they bring back the quartet more than once though. i'm just trying to remember where they brought him back with um anyway uh, there looks like there's a steelbook of uh, American Werewolf in London from Arrow. Okay. Neat. Looks like it's U.S. release. Yikes. I kind of want this, Ryan. Looks cool. Uh, I have their uh, limited edition one that came out last year. But which you, you can also this? read about in my top Blu-rays from 2019. But do you have this steelbook, which looks really cool? Uh, no, mine comes in like a hardbound like cardboard kind of looks like a book case. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to get the steel book and lord it over you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. I'm not a big fan of the steel book art actually. So. Oh, okay. I kind of like it. Is it's it the sweet. one where he's like Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. The, no, it's the white face guy. Yeah. Yeah. You got it, it, like just before he's turning into the werewolf and then you got the werewolf in the background and then you got Griffin Dunn backpacking. Um and then uh we're getting re-releases of some Miramax films. So if you want Gone Baby Gone, The English Patient, Chasing Amy, uh, Sling Blade. Uh, some folks call it Sling Blade, but I call it Kaiser Blade. Um, that's a fun reference. Uh, but yeah, if you want those Miramax films, you can check that out and whatnot. You can also get Frida. Frida's a good movie. Um, and then, yeah, that's news or Blu-rays unless I'm, me- I'm missing anything. Oh, if you want Shakespeare in Love too, you can get that shit. I guess whatever. I do love Shakespeare in Love. Um, I like. Wait, ben they made Affleck a second one. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> oh no, Corinne. Let me, let me, let me rephrase what I'm saying. If you would like Shakespeare in Love as well, you can get Shakespeare in Love on Blu-ray. Um, Ryan, I haven't seen it Damn since it. college because when, that's when I finally first saw it, and I don't remember liking it. Is that a movie that I should just rewatch and give a second chance? 
Colin Firth's not in it enough, and he's the villain. So, bad movie. But Ben Affleck's in it, and he... I remember him being... Uh, oddly placed. <laughs> Spring, have, you watched, have you watched Supernova yet? Supernova? I've never heard of it. That's weird for a Colin Firth fan. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen yeah. everything he's in. I'm sorry. I mean, you see his you see his dong, and that's why it's called Supernova. I <laughs> <laughs> haven't seen it. <laughs> Ryan, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's on fire. <laughs> oh, Anyways, boy. we watch films throughout the week in a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Corinne, what'd you watch this week? Let me guess anime and some English fucking show. Uh, anime, yes. English thing, no. Nope. No English thing. Um, so I'll just get the highlights out of the way since I haven't been on in a while. My latest anime binge has been the, actually, well, it's two series, but it's like the same thing. Uh, it's called Fruits Basket. It's, there's a 2001 version and then there's a 2019 version that adapts the same manga. Um, the first one is only a season long, but the second one is going to be three seasons, and the third season's coming out here in a couple of months, or at least it's going to start uh, airing in a couple of months. So, really excited. It's a Both versions are really well done, although the latest version is much better in terms of animation, and they actually brought back a lot of the voice cast from the first version. So, the plot is that this girl uh, who's in high school... She's kind of homeless through some weird circumstance. And one of her classmates uh, takes her in with his older cousin. And she finds out some secrets about their family. And there's like some magic and like brouhaha and family drama. And she has to like, she wants to break this curse that's um, hurting a lot of the family members. And let me just say... Everyone in this show needs some serious therapy, and it's it's like I feel so bad for them, and I love them all a lot, but it's like you all need therapy. Um, you got, like, some suicidal thoughts. Um, you got, like, psychological breakdowns, anxiety, mm-hmm. psychological torture, um, gaslighting. It's just – it's all there, and the villain – Akito is a terrible person and I just want to throw them down a garbage disposal. So, you know, the usual anime bullshit. Um, But it's a beautifully animated show and I highly recommend everybody go check it out. It's on Hulu, Fruits Basket. Um, That's why I hate Hulus because I don't have the version without all the ads. So I have to sit through commercial breaks constantly and it's terrible. But the show is worth it. So there's that. Um, Hanyu no Yashahime, we are getting a lot of good stuff now. Um, We're not confirmed for season two yet, and I'm getting a little nervous about if we're going to get one, um, because we have a lot of material left to cover, and we've got like five episodes left, I think. So I'm like, well, we're going to have to wrap up everything, or we're not going to get left on a satisfying note. 
So I don't know what's going to happen, but the next couple episodes look to be really, really good. All right. Now on to the movies. I watched To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Always and Forever, To All the Boys 3, whatever you want to call it. Um, The To All the Boys (laughs) I Loved (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of weird because... I think the story had potential, but they go in a direction that is predictable. And I I honestly felt like there was a possibility for them to do something different, to break the trope, to subvert expectations, and to really take this character on a much needed journey and to really, you know, give an important message. Okay, so the premise, I should explain the premise. So Lara Jean... And her boyfriend both want to go to Stanford and lo and behold, he, you know, he is on scholarship because he is like an awesome lacrosse player, apparently, even though we never see him play lacrosse at all. Um, But so he's on scholarship and she's trying to get in and she finds out she does not get in. So now she's like, oh, crap, what do we do? Like our whole college plan is ruined and we don't want to be one of those couples that breaks up because they go to different colleges So she was going to go to UC Berkeley, but then she decides to go to uh, NYU. I don't remember which college, but it's in New York. And so they're like, oh, well, we're going to go to college 3,000 miles apart. And spoiler alert for the movie, they decide that they're going to stay together and do a long distance relationship. And I was very disappointed because I'm like, no, like make this a movie about her going off and finding her own thing and being. I'm really disappointed how you say spoiler alert, Corinne, and there's no like pause. (laughs) I said it slow enough. I think people. No, you said spoiler alert. Uh, By the way, at the end of the movie, this happens. That's that's going to be. You should just put your instead of catching the classics, your Twitter handler should handle should just be spoilers i'm pretty sure that's taken by now i'll look into it (laughs) (laughs) like you care ryan i know you're never gonna watch to all the boys three you don't care maybe one of our listeners is like man i love that series i didn't even know there's three of them and i can't wait to watch this one oh prince spoiling it well if they've if they love it they would have already seen it then but anyway I thought that they were going to do something brave and different and something that I think is needed in this day and age, but nope, they do the tropey thing and they try to bring the whole like love letter thing back into it, which that was another thing about the movie that I forgot, like how this all started with like them, like she writes a love letter and it gets sent through a third party and like they start fake dating and everything and it was almost like this was a movie that was completely unrelated to that until the very end. And it was just like, oh, we're just going to copy paste like these two characters that you already know into this kind of generic story, if that makes sense. So I was ultimately disappointed in the movie. Nope. Doesn't make any sense. It would be it would be a bold move if they suddenly turned it into P.S. I love you. That would be the bold move there. Have one of them die. Uh okay. You've never <laughs> seen, pretty... Oh, you've never. Oh, you've never seen I, that yeah, crap movie. No, I, have, I love you. I have, okay. Yeah, okay. It's been a while. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say like that would be the that's I'm like trying to think like considering that they're both teenagers that would be pretty dark. 
Well, I mean, you've got to take chances in filmmaking, Corinne. This isn't all a bunch of... If you're on Netflix, you can take bold risks. <laughs> I mean, you can make three-and-a-half-hour movies nobody but me watches or two-and-a-half-hour movies nobody but me watches. Like, the possibilities are endless. Um, yeah, I'm anyway, sorry that it didn't live up to your expectations. I um, didn't really care. It's not like I was, like, in love with them. The second one was super disappointing, so this one was, like, slightly better, but... The first one had the most charm by by far. Okay. Right so on. then in preparation for a sequel that's coming out here next month, um, coming to America for ah. the first time. And it was pretty fun. I guess I didn't understand why like Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy are just doing random characters for part of the movie. Because it's fun? <laughs> I guess. But it's just like, okay. This isn't that, like a bit we're gonna keep doing. It's just in these couple of scenes. It's it's all right. It, it was the, it, Eddie Murphy. You know, that's how I felt watching Coming to America. Um, I go okay. <laughs> it's fun. He's having it's, fun. This is not Norbit no, no, territory. Corinne summed it up perfectly. It's okay. <laughs> it was I think kind of. I think it's more popular based on its what people think it is than the actual movie. Oh no, that's not true. It's it's perfectly fine. Yeah, okay. nope. it is fine. I don't know. I watched it's it with okay. a friend of the podcast, Jerry the Artist, and obviously he loves it. It's like one of his favorite movies ever. And I was like, this is you know, it is definitely more enjoyable watching it with him. But on the whole, the movie's kind of like, you know, it's there. I had fun. It's it's a decent watch. There you go. It was kind of like weird, like a time capsule of 80s New York City, just like the old cars and McDonald's, although I guess it's a fake McDonald's. It's McDowell's? Yeah. (laughs) And you get to see a uh, not then famous Samuel Jackson rabbit? Yes, that, I was about to bring up that scene because um, mm-hmm. uh, so Eddie Murphy's character is like mopping the floor or whatever, and like they, they had that scene earlier where they were both staff fighting. I don't know if that's technically the term; that's just what I know it as. Um, and so, like that scene happened, and I looked at Jerry, and I was like, "He's gonna fight him with the mop. He's gonna fight him with the mop." <laughs> and he got like really excited, and then of course, like that's exactly what happened. So yeah. But yeah, because <laughs> he he prefaced the scene. He's like, "This is one of the best scenes in cinema history," and I'm like, "What? They're just okay, like hanging I'll... out in the McDowell's." Like, I don't get it. And I completely forgot Samuel L. Jackson's name was in the credits at the beginning. So I love Captain. Jer- I'm like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> okay, I do. I love Jerry to death, but I I, I want to show him a couple more movies before he declares that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good luck. <laughs> no. No. Jerry's Jerry's more than entitled to to love that movie the way he does. I think it's a, I think it's a very fun movie. I'm a, I'm excited for the sequel despite that trailer not being the greatest thing in the world. But I said that about Bill and Ted three and look at the movie we got. I'm definitely willing to watch the sequel just to see how it all pans out. I'm frustrated that it's PG PG thirteen. The more I think about it, I'm like that just feels wrong. But whatever. And then the last thing I watched was um, I saw that Disney Plus now has the Book of Life on it. And I remembered that there was some controversy when Coco came out of like, Coco ripped off the Book of Life, blah, 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 don't support this terrible movie. 
So I'm like, all right, I got to see what this is about. And of course, it's produced by Guillermo del Toro. So I was like, well, yeah, you got to watch it. Yes, um, you do. Support that wonderful, <laughs> adorable teddy bear. <laughs> um, so this is an animated movie. And it, okay, I'm just going to say there are similarities. I can see like maybe the Pixar people drew some inspiration from it, or maybe it's just a giant coincidence. Like the the main character in both movies both want to do music, but there's like something that like their family has done for generations and like you can't be a musician. You have to be a you know, in Coco it's the shoemaker and then in Book of Life it's a bullfighter. Um, but and then of course they both take place on the Day of the Dead and there's you know people are going to the afterlife and all this kind of stuff so yeah there are similarities but the animation style is very different i really don't know how to explain it it kind of i guess i've never seen Coraline, but it kind of felt like Coraline a little bit in the clips i've seen it's at least more in that direction than it is like traditional pixar or disney animation given and, that it's given that it's del toro it's gonna go for something different less I'm not going to use the word refined because that sounds disingenuous, but like, like it's going to have more of a lived in feel to it. Whereas, you know, Co- Coco, I love Coco to death. It does feel very slick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. This, I just, the character designs are beautiful and they're intricate. And so the two, there's like two deities or something who are in, uh, it's uh, La Muerte and Zibalba, and they both have such intricate character designs and or costumes, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, but there's this one shot where Zibalba is talking to the main character, and he has little skulls as the pupils of his eyes, and the skulls start rotating so that they face the main character and the camera. And it's really, really cool how, like, a tiny little detail like that is just so captivating and Mm -hmm. just the intricacies and like all the little like skulls hanging from his hat and the uh the contour the texture on his cape and his feathers and stuff um and the land of the dead they don't spend a lot of time there but it it has like a kind of a similar feel to coco but it looks a little bit different um so ultimately They use a lot of modern pop music, but they try to, like, stylize it to fit the movie, and it wasn't really jiving with me, and some of the voice acting was a little off. Um, They got Channing Tatum to play one of the lead characters, and I felt like he didn't fit, and then even worse was they got Ice Cube to play one of the other deities, and he really didn't fit, Um, although I think they were kind of aware of that because he's animated differently than everybody else. Hmm. so it's uh i mean it was entertaining enough i think everybody should go check it out at some point but i'm not gonna make it a hard recommendation more just like you know if you get the time and you're curious sure check out the book of life it's a cute story it definitely feels more like a fairy tale than Coco does, but Coco hits me a lot more emotionally because I cry every time I see Coco. And this one was just kind of like, yeah, okay, that was a fun time. So that's what I've been Brad, watching. Brad, what'd you watch this week? Uh, not a lot. Um, who's? 
caught up on uh, WandaVision. Oh, I am. I forgot to mention that. So three I out am. Of four. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess we got two episodes left, and uh, this is quite a turning point in, the, in this in the show. Yep. Um, I'm starting to think uh, Miss Fisto might actually be in this because uh, they focus on that fly on the curtain. It's not a, a fly. It's a cicada. Why does everybody keep saying that? Even it was I 3 a.m. and knows nothing that's what about I watching. <laughs> I know nothing about insects, and even I was like, "Oh, that's cicada." Okay. I mean, maybe you're right, and Mephisto makes an appearance anyway. But it's just kind of weird. It's like, well, I've been reading. Why up, would they, they say, make it a cicada then? Uh, well, when I thought it was a fly, I did the, I did the reading, and they said that Ralph initially takes the form of that. And Ralph is Mephisto or something. But anyway, the point is, um, Paul Bettany said earlier that uh, there's like a cameo at the end of the se- season by an actor he's always wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, it's Benedict Cumberbatch or um, who else? I've, I've heard um, Ian McKellen for Magneto is floating around or yeah. Patrick Stewart for Professor X. But... I did the cross check as best as I could on IMDb and there's a British actor that's quite uh, beloved that he has not worked with. And that's Bill Nighy. (laughs) (laughs) No, just I'll have, I mean, I'll have, I have classic. Sorry. You're Laura. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I figured that seems like a guy who could play the devil really well. Oh, he's got a good start playing Davy Jones. And that's the other thing is, uh, I guess Mephisto unleashes the character of the Flying Dutchman um, hmm. into the it frees him from like wherever he was trapped, and uh, yeah, Davy Jones was the captain of the Flying Dutchman. So interesting huh. coincidence. I mean, I mean, okay. There's I'm, a lot. I think. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Agatha Harkness is the only villain. But it seems like they're also setting up at least one more reveal, uh, you know. Um, yeah. Because I, I, even, uh, so the book that's in Agatha's basement is called The Darkhold. It's uh, like Marvel's evil magic book. So, in in comics, I mean, I had to do research because I only know Agatha Harkness is this kind of evil witch, but she isn't really that evil. So for her to have that much power seems kind of um, un isn't true to the comics. It seems like maybe she was given more power than she actually had. Right. And it makes sense that someone else is pulling the strings. It seems like her and um, uh, our our fake Pietro are kind of like henchmen for something larger. So yeah, um, I mean I. I think it's kind of weird how Marvel has teased us with a multiverse twice now. And I guess granted, we haven't gotten like the full explanation for fake Pietro. Like maybe she just conjured him by pulling him through the multiverse or something, but I I don't even, I actually don't think he's, I don't think it has anything to do with being Quicksilver from the X-Men stuff. I think it's just, it's like a little in joke for the audience. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think they're going to pull the X-Men into it. Yeah. Me either. Haven't they already done that with um I kept seeing Evan Peters picture floating around in some slight spoiler stuff. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Oh, okay. He's playing Quicksilver, but 
he's not actually Pietro. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> or right. is he? As far as we know, yeah. I'll catch also, up on this show. Know, I, I was thinking that there's also a misdirection with Mephisto because uh, in the Halloween spooktacular, there was a lot of like right, pretty much on the nose references to him. You know where her kids are demon spawns, and uh, he says uh, something about hell. And mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the uh, show's great. So it could be Mephisto, but it could be that. I, I think it just makes more sense that they're going to introduce the multiverse. Well, possibly. Yeah. Also, they skipped over the 90s like show. I, I thought the Malcolm last the episode was the 90s. Uh, the last, Halloween the, one? Yeah, that was like... Yeah, the Halloween was like Malcolm in the Middle. But I looked it up and I because I was like, that was a 2000 show, and I'm right. It's from 2000 to something. 2000 to well. 2006 or something, but... Hmm. Yeah, and, and like uh, Family Ties ended in '89, so like you know, so we so we got gypped of a Seinfeld episode from WandaVision, damn, <laughs> or like a Full House or a Saved by the Bell or something. No, 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 it's got to be Seinfeld. Come on, we know what to find in the '90s. We're not stupid. Uh, friends, nah, friends, yeah. R- Ryan, I like Friends, but let's be honest, we all know which one wins here. No, Seinfeld doesn't think- lend itself to being like a. Disney friendly property. <laughs> I wonder yeah, if they're I... gonna do a 2010s, and I was like, the only mo- or the only show I could think of from like the 2010s was Game of Thrones. <laughs> no, they, yeah, I, Modern Family it's... made made sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I think the next two episodes, I I don't think they're gonna be the sitcommy things anymore. Yeah, for sure. It seems It'll like, be like that fourth one was. Yeah, I think it's good a, a little more. Uh, Marvel universe. I mean, I, I guess it still could be, but I'm trying to think Ooh, of this one was. It was kind of half and half. Does Falcon and the Winter Soldier come out in two weeks? Yeah. So I, I'm guessing, however, this ends. It like dovetails into that. Yeah. Freaking March 18th is the Snyder Cut, and March 19th is Falcon and Winter Soldier. <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, Alamo is currently finding out if they're allowed to show the Snyder cut so might have some uh, screening info for you later I don't want to sit in a theater for four hours you don't have to come you can stay home (laughs) you know what I I know I'm already planning to watch it with Jerry so there you go you know what Brad that sounds like a long time but yeah I'm there my man (sighs) I'm sorry I brought it up I mean, as long, if you had a, a, what do they call that? Like a bathroom break guide or something. I remember that. Intermission. That happened. An intermission. <laughs> no, I meant like, um, I remember and when Endgame came out, they were like, okay, these are the scenes, like no context, you know, without giving you spoilers of like, these are the scenes where you can go to the bathroom and not really miss anything. Oh, like the bath, yeah, bathroom break guide. Yeah, no. Or you can be an adult and, you know, not go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Just wear an adult diaper into the theater. Okay. No, I mean, like you really, you can't sit for three hours without going to the bathroom. It's not. I thought the Snyder Cut was four hours. It is. That's not even that hard either. You know, my job, sometimes I can't use the bathroom for 10 hours. So sitting for four is not that hard. I heard uh, they even worked in like a like a pseudo intermission into the movie. So 
there's like a lull where you can like where Snyder says that like, oh there's nothing major happening it's more of a montage so you could probably split at that point yeah, yeah. Just, I can know, sit through it you know what I've sat through Lawrence of Arabia I can sit through the Snyder cut I sat through one of the Ballyhoo episodes for four hours and I had to go to the bathroom so <laughs> oh <laughs> It's it's sort of a compliment. Have you you know what you haven't seen the Eastman cut, which is six hours long, talking all about an eighty minute movie that nobody has access to. Ah, uh, God. So anyway, yeah, WandaVision. Uh, lots of questions, need answers. Uh, Holding in your pee, I dig it. Uh, then the last thing I watched. Well, yeah. So what happened? I I thought we were gonna watch Minari, and then. We changed it to Nomadland, and then I caught you guys watching other movies in the theater that weren't Minari. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Well, talk, Minari Brad. wasn't available in the theaters. I yes, watched... it was at the Mayan. Yeah, that's where I watched it. Well, some of us can't make it to the Mayan. <laughs> you guys were like three miles away from it watching yeah, Dracula. Yeah, but how, what, what, what time did it play at? Uh, yeah, I think one, four, or seven. Anyways. <laughs> I, I, Ryan, Ryan, I can solve this one. Brad, Minari and Nomadland have more availability and access, and will have for the coming weeks. Dracula hasn't been rescreened like this in a long while, and I wasn't going to miss that opportunity. Uh, are, is Minari going to be an episode, or should I talk about it now? Uh, I mean, I was going to do it this week, or Tom and Jerry. So it's up to you. <laughs> okay, I, just, I swear, because like by next week, I might not be able to talk about it as well. <laughs> All right, you can talk about it. It's all right. Um, okay, so yeah, I watched Minari, and it's a really nice movie. Um, very simple. I didn't realize it was set in the 80s, um, but it's about a Korean family who moved to Arkansas to start a farm, um, and it goes horribly. Nothing works right. Um, and meanwhile, like they have a, a son who has a um, heart murmur, and uh when things don't go right they invite the mom's mother to visit them and the kids don't initially like her but uh you know they have interactions that everyone kind of grows on each other and meanwhile there's friction between the mom and the dad where the dad wants to keep the farm going and the 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 mom is just frustrated that um, he's choosing the farm over the family and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, just kind of like a, a, a nice slice of life type movie. So yeah, I recommend it. Check it out. Yeah. They're saying that Steven Yoon is really good and he's being considered for Oscars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everyone in that, like even the kids in the movie are just like, like the, I'd say the kid with the heart murmur actually gets more to do than he does. Like at one point, uh, he's so down and out on how much his dream of the farm is failing that he kind of exits the exit, exits the movie for like I'd say like half an hour. Um, but yeah, it's a really like good example of like just acting naturally in a movie. Um, yeah, what's the other things to say? I forget. But anyway, yeah. 
that's Minari, and you should check it out. Um, and the last thing I watched was uh, Virtuosity, <laughs> which is a Denzel Washington, um, Russell Crowe movie from 1995. And it is, oof, man. When you talk about, like, you know how you always say, like, Tom Cruise doesn't make bad movies? Um, like, he's always good in what he does. I'd say Virtuosity is the opposite example of that for Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. Is Ryan still there? When did it come out? Uh, 95. 95. Hmm. I've never heard of this movie. I'm not sure. And I think, yeah, I think Ryan did disappear. So, um, I'm trying to, I guess I've never seen Virtuosity. Oh no, did Thanos snap him away? No, Zoom user, come back. Brad, I'm I feel cold. <laughs> it's just you and me left on the planet. <laughs> um, excuse me, I'm here. Yeah, but you're on another part of the world, Corinne. Uh oh, Ryan left. No, he's well, completely gone. Screw him, Brad. Keep talking about virtuosity. Wait, wait, guys, he's gone. We can talk about the blacklist now. <laughs> I need him to no. acknowledge my Tom Cruise reference. Uh. I missed it. I don't even know what you said. Something about him. But anyway, virtuosity. Explain the plot of virtuosity, Brad. Uh, So the plot of virtuosity is Denzel Washington is a former police officer who did a bad thing and went to prison. Like in the little things? Except he didn't go to prison in the little things. Right. Okay. And then uh, it's the future. So they're using convicts to test out their their crime prediction program, training like program. Kind of like in High Life? God damn it. <laughs> or, um, great, I just forgot. Minority Report? Minority Report, yes. Yeah, you. Minority Report isn't, yeah. Um, so, yeah, their science team decided to profile all the serial killers that ever existed and form them into one program called SID 6.7 played by Russell Crowe who is hamming it up super villain I was going to ask you are we getting good Russell Crowe or bad Russell Crowe I mean he's clearly enjoying what he's doing but uh, it is the most reductive um, and over the top version of what's my idea of the person who is every single serial killer and ever that it ever existed personality. <laughs> um, he's wow, like, that, that seems jumbled. <laughs> it's like a comic supervillain. Um, uh, he's just like gleefully, you know. Um, does he have a mustache he can twirl? Like <laughs> He should have. Oh. Uh, but mostly he just enjoys like good suits. Um, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So wait, is he just dick dastardly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, he, uh, so the, the evil scientist that works there decides, um, you know, I want my serial killer creation to come out into the real world for some reason. Um, so he tricks the other assistant into, uh, the assistant has this program of like this bikini clad woman. I don't know why they need that for the police training program, but, um, she's super, seductive and he's like hey you know if we combine it with this other program that uh synthesizes things you could have her for real 
and then he switches the programs. So the assistant thinks he's creating her when he's actually creating Sid 6.7. And uh, the funniest thing about that is the synthesis, like he can't be killed uh, unless you destroy his core CPU processor and he only needs glass to reconstruct himself. So Russell Crowe's, you know, will get shot and then he'll just like touch a window and then reform himself. And keep in mind, this is like lawnmower man style CGI. <laughs> um, so super great. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Now, Ryan's back. You ask him to acknowledge your, your, your statement. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about virtuosity. I don't know when you dropped off. Uh, yeah, I didn't hear that part. Sorry. Do you remember? Did you watch Virtuosity? Oh yeah, f- uh, f- I was like fifteen years ago. I was, I was saying, you know how you always talk about like Tom Cruise doesn't make a bad movie. Yeah, and he's at least even if he's in a bad movie, he's still good in it. Yeah, Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington are the opposite of that in this. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Like, yeah, man, I, I I don't remember the movie hard. I mean, vaguely because it just never stayed with me because I thought it was bad when I saw it. Yeah. Like I thought it was at least mediocre, but it is like laughably like how this get made. Um, the room bad. Like, wow. Um, like I was saying, Russell Crowe is completely over the top. Uh, his idea of hundreds of serial killers is to be a mustache twirling, like supervillain who is like excited and gleeful about everything. Um, and then Denzel Washington is at least trying to be dramatic, but his dialogue is so bad that like he can't even save it. Um, but anyway, so yeah, he has to go track down. And oh, I forgot. Uh, part of Sid 6.6's programming is that one of the serial killers is the killer who killed Denzel Washington's family. Um, okay, as part of a <laughs> as part of like a a, a game of his. And then you're kind of giving me PTSD about this movie <laughs> as you're yeah. explaining it. Now I'm starting to remember it. <laughs> and so the reason Denzel Washington is in jail is because um, as soon as Sid six or I forget what the actual serial killer's name is, but the guy that is part of the program now, he set his family up in a death trap. And then once Denzel Washington triggered it himself and got his family killed, he went on a rampage and killed everyone good or bad in the vicinity of this guy. <laughs> so now they're using him to as well, as well as other convicts who, which one of the other convicts is the guy from saw uh, the, the latter saws, not the um, Tobin bell. Um, they're test fodder for the police training program, like cyber virtual reality thing. And, Right out of the gate, they hit you with, by the way, Denzel Washington also got his arm blown off and he has a cyber, like he has a winter soldier arm and then it like barely ever gets like referenced for the rest of the movie. Like at one point he, like he has tons of fist fights and there's no, like no like clangs or, you know, a, a huge chunk of metal just broke my jaw. It's like later on he needs to pry open uh, a metal door to rescue the Kaylee Cuoco, by the way, like little I wow. guess, cartoon Harley Quinn who gets abducted. Um, yeah, it's yeah. And the whole time, just um, Russell Crowe's running around 
trying to get like create like get on TV doing like a mass murder. And yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. You, like, seriously, I could not remember the movie. Even as you're describing it, I can remember fragments of it. But geez, yeah, that like, is not a good movie. Like I said, oh god, and then the the credits. <laughs> it's like it does. By the way, it's also a little bit like the precursor to the Matrix, because, like, when they're walking around, there's, like, the duplicate people of Los Angeles are all guys in suits, so it's like the agents from the Matrix. I was like, huh, I feel like the Wachowskis were watching this. It's this '95, so they might have taken a few things from their cyber world and virtuosity. Uh, but yeah, there's like that, uh, you know, like techno music from the Matrix at the end for the credits for about ten seconds, and then it jumps into a Peter Gabriel song that's like really somber, <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and this is a helicopter circling around this this skyscraper where the finale happened. Uh, it's just like what? What is this movie? <laughs> what were they thinking? Yeah, virtuosity. I I was not prepared for how uh, crazy it is. Yeah, I don't at all. So, <laughs> fuck. Yeah, in the finale when uh uh Denzel Washington like throws. Russell Crowe through like this glass window and he falls onto a bunch like a, another stack of like glass window panes and then he's just like impaled with tons of glass and he looks like Robocop like the animatronic Alex Murphy <laughs> kicking and screaming like <laughs> as he's trying to like reform himself inside the glass uh, that's great and he's so <laughs> like Denzel Washington's character is so dumb he actually like puts his head like right up close to him where he like where all you know Russell Crowe can form glass shards so he's for a minute there he's almost about to be impaled uh so dumb that's why i watched that um i watched a fair amount uh <clears throat> i kind of went back on a coen brothers kick which seems to be a yearly thing for me or a daily thing or whatever thing um but i went back to the hudsucker proxy again and uh i didn't notice this before but um, I guess because there was no real reason for me to in the past. But since this is like the umpteenth time I've seen this movie, um, I was just kind of looking at the details of the production design and everything in the movie. It's like out of, every, out of any Coen Brother movie, Hudsucker Proxy is the one that looks the most expensive um, just because everything is virtually like created on a set for that film because it's Joel Silver. So he's dumping money into it. Um, but Bruce Campbell's in the movie, as everybody knows, or everybody should know. Um, and he in the movie, he's uh, his his character and Miss um, Archer's character smoke cigarettes. And I just noticed this for the first time. So they're smoking Lucky Strikes and I can see the emblem on there. They're clearly either actual Lucky Strike cigarettes or they are, you know, close facsimiles with the emblem on them. But regardless, like he's never taken a drag out of his cigarette and I've ne- and I don't notice that often in movies, but like he's, he'll have it in his mouth and he'll kind of like puff a little bit, but it, it ne- the drag never goes in full. So props to Bruce Campbell for being smart enough to not inhale and not actually smoke, like, <laughs> especially a lucky strike cigarette unfiltered. Cause that shit will like burn your goddamn throat. Um, but um, you know, as, 
as usual, he's great in that movie. I think I pointed this out last year, but I'll point it out again for anybody who didn't hear it. Um, in that movie, there's a lot of instances where the Coen brothers are actively choosing to not feature Bruce Campbell's face. And they're like going from behind with him. Like one of the most prominent slaps that uh, Miss Archer, gi- Ar- Archer gives to uh, Bruce Campbell is like from behind. <laughs> uh, and so they, they clearly get a kick out of like, you know, like underplaying Bruce in there, but they give him that great push in shot as he's laughing about how they're, you know, they're screwing around with uh, uh, Tim Robinson. So um, it's uh, with Norville Barnes. So it's just a, it's a, it's a fun movie. I mean, I know Ryan's seen it cause it's uh, Ramey adjacent. So um, it's a fun one. Have you watched it, Brad? A what? The Hudsucker proxy. No. You'd like it. I think you'd have fun with it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Very, me uh, too. It's um, it's it's a it's it seems like it's the Paul Newman movie I rewatch the most, and that's not like intentional. It's just because he's in it, I kept going back to it more than other Paul Newman movies. Um, then I rewatched the Man Who uh, Man Who Wasn't There, which I I kind of wish that Billy Bob Thornton would have worked more with the Coen Brothers because he's really good with them. Um, and it also reminded me like, man, we didn't get a lot of James Gandolfini movies because of him dying so young, but shit, man, he's wonderful in the small role that he's in. Like it's that movie's pretty close to so many instances. Like it's, it's, it's such a fucking beautiful movie to watch. Um, and then I, I had a Channing Tatum experience by going back to hail Caesar, which, um, has ended up kind of, I, the more I rewatched that, in adjacent to doing the show that I'm doing, like more jokes are seeping in for me um, bit by bit. And like the idea of merging Eddie Mannix, who is an actual fixer for Hollywood with the, with the Louis B. Mayer aesthetic of being the, the production chief out there to the money men out East um, is an interesting combo where basically he's performing both functions. So um it's just a fun, it's still a fun watch. Um, and it still has the audacity to have an actual Soviet ship <laughs> pop up <laughs> at the end of the movie. Um, and then uh, I did a double feature of Night of the Hunter and True Grit. Because um, I was supposed to do a recording of Night of the Hunter for Ballyhoo, but unfortunately it got delayed due to unfortunate um, emergency circumstances. But the, both of the movies feature the song Everlasting Arms. So I'm like, well, let's watch and compare these side by side. And really, both of those movies end up being about like a lost innocence um, on the part of youth, whether it's in Night of the Hunter, you know, it's those children like basically <laughs> going through hell and losing any form of idyllic childhood they were ever going to possess. And in True Grit, you have um, Maddie Ross um, like literally having her whole idea of justice being served being disillusioned for her by like the cost of vengeance i.e her arm by the end of the movie um so it was an interesting double like way to watch them back to back um and then i uh took a side and actually caught up on the new looney tunes cartoons on hbo max um so they started off with a christmas special in this new batch of episodes and um it's pretty cool uh the 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 special is about 24 minutes and 
the best one for me is actually the first one, which is Port. Have you watched it yet, Ryan? No, I haven't had a chance to. Okay, I don't want to spoil too much, but Porky and Daffy. Um, uh, well, so the the first cartoon is just Santa's elves go on strike for unfair work practices, and so Daffy and Porky realize if they don't get the get Santa working again, they're not going to get their yearly lump of coal for Christmas because <laughs> they keep getting sent coal. And so they go and offer their services to help Santa. But Santa reveals that kids don't want toys. They want video game consoles. So like the whole gag comes, becomes them trying to build a video game console. And it turns into a fun little roundabout of, you know, evil robot chasing them around the factory. It's pretty fun. Um, and then the rest of the episodes that kind of unfurl, they finally put Taz in there um, or like feature him a little bit more prominently. And they do it in the form of like him singing Christmas carols. Um, I will say though, that the one thing that I'm noticing as I've been going through these new Looney Tunes cartoons, the ones that I, I love, I love the cartoons themselves, but at the end of these particular segments, I'm never a fan of their final joke is the Sylvester and Tweety ones. For whatever reasons, those ones aren't hitting with me the best. Um, like the majority of it works and then they'll do their final like joke at the end. Like Looney Tunes will usually like end on a pun or like kind of like a humorous note there. And for whatever reason, the Sylvester and Tweety ones aren't hitting the same way for me. But there is one that is pretty freaking brilliant where Sylv- the Tweety and, Tweety, Tweety and Granny are going to move to Florida and before they can move, Sylvester swipes in and finally eats Tweety Bird. And Tweety ends up in Sylvester's stomach. And Tweety thinks that Sylvester's stomach is Florida. <laughs> so she, Tweety starts basically furnishing uh, Sylvester's stomach, thus causing him a lot of pain. And at one point, uh, he, it, Tweety throws a house party inside of Sylvester's stomach. And it's it's kind of incredible how much they get away with. So I I guess the as the first 10 indicated, this show is clearly for everybody. It's not gearing specifically towards children. So I appreciate that they're continuing that motif of like, look, we don't give a fuck. These are Looney Tunes the way they would have been made in the 30s, 40s and 50s. Um, and in the Christmas special, you can see a little um a uh, house set up and they've got photos on the wall and amongst the photos you see a photo of Bob Clampett who was the guy who really innovated a lot of the uh I want to say like the speed and the kind of rubberiness that the Looney Tunes can have like if you Frank Darabont's pointed this out if you still frame uh, a Bob Clampett cartoon frame by frame it looks like a surrealist drawing and he's not wrong um and uh so yeah, that was uh, those are those are a lot of fun. And also, there's one Ryan where Bugs uh, accidentally gets caught up in a scheme with Muggsy and Rocky, and Rocky the gangster is played by James Adomian. <laughs> and I've never heard a closer approximation to Rocky than James Adomian doing it. And the moment I saw that he was doing it, I'm like, this is this is perfect, and I don't even need to hear it. Um, <laughs> And he does a really good job with it. Like it's uh, the guy who's playing Muggsy, um, Frank Tassacor. I I can't, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Um, but he's been doing a lot of different voices on the show. 
uh, Tassasori, um, but he plays Muggsy oh. and he's really good in it. Yeah, he's Rocksteady you know in the he's Rocksteady in the 2012 Turtles cartoon. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I I'm I'm sorry that I butchered his name. He's been running the gamut on these ones because like Eric Bowser's the new Bugs, um, and yeah. then they've got Fred Tassasori doing he a lot Splinter. of other voices. <laughs> yeah, he does. Okay. Yeah. Oh shit! I'm <laughs> I think so. <sighs> God. I need to, I need to, I need to do better work on my modern day voice actors. Um, and then the re- recent uh, thing I watched was um, uh, House of Wax. I rewatched House of Wax for an upcoming recording, um, and I still think that Paddle Ball Guy is the third most genius part of that movie. But I don't know if you've rewatched it in a while, Ryan. But we, I, I always forget Charles Bronson's in that movie until I look at Charles Bronson on screen because I'm just like. What's you? What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a while. Yeah, it's it's um he's he plays um Professor Jared's henchman Igor who doesn't speak, and mm. the only and the only wax molds that he can make are wax molds of himself. <laughs> um and uh, but he's a very menacing figure in the movie, and when I was doing research on it. Um, and watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, apparently because Bronson was so big in Italy at certain points, when they would re-screen this film, they would they would promote it with images of Bronson. They wouldn't promote it with images of um, Vincent Price. Um, so I found that kind of interesting. How like the Italian the, the Italian advertising would change it up based off of the trend. It's awesome. Um, yeah, and then I rewatched uh, Out of the Past, which is a movie with Bob Mitchum and. Jane Greer. Um, it's one of the quintessential noirs. Features Kirk Douglas as a psychopath. Um, it's it's still a blast. I don't want to spoil it because actually, I think Ryan, if you haven't watched it, you need to watch the movie. Um, no, not. But there's a lot of a lot of what it does clearly ends up inspiring the Coens down the line, where it's just like everything's messed up by the end and nobody's learned anything. <laughs> like, um, and then yeah, that's all I've watched this week. Uh, oh, I mean, I guess we Zach did, go did to want see. to talk about uh, our Dracula outing oh, no. together. No, I never talk Dracula. <laughs> uh, it was that cool. was lame. Uh, seeing, I'm sorry. <laughs> seeing Dracula on the uh, on a big screen was kind of fun. Um, I'm yeah. always uh, taken aback. I forget how little music is in the film, and it's really all set up just by uh, atmosphere and Lugosi's performance. Yeah, well, because we were talking about it like afterward, like, well, one, Todd Browning didn't really know how to do sound film yet. This was his real break into sound film. Um, but also, I don't think anybody had any expectation that they were establishing a whole new genre like for success. That's why Frankenstein like has an actual score is because like now they can treat it with austerity. But Swan Lake is a good creepy theme to cue it in. Oh um, yeah, no, I I agree. Um, and then uh, as we were leaving, we got Mondo pins of different Universal monsters, and this <laughs> this English girl uh, asked us if we wanted the, the swamp monster, and uh, she did not want the Mummy or Frankenstein, which yeah. Zach I had Mummy, Zach had Frankenstein. But she was there by herself, and I told Zach he missed his opportunity to, to ask out some British broad. Mm-hmm. 
And did you do you remember my do you remember what I what I said, even though I'm glad I didn't say it out loud? <laughs> I don't. Okay. I told you I'm like, you know, you're right, Ryan, and I probably should have, but I'm really glad that I didn't say anything further because if I had, I would have gone like, um, his name is the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> Get it right. <laughs> Flip up yeah. the Alamo table and walk away. I know I should have asked my server for I, I really wanted the invisible man, but you mm. know. Were they taking requests? I got there a little late. Were they taking requests? No. I mean, my pen was already on there, and I wasn't going to be that guy. No. I yeah. mean, like, it's it's not it's it's not the worst thing in the world. It just feels weird that we went to a screening of Dracula, and both of us got Karloff imagery. Like, I'm sure Bella Lugosi was pissed off in his grave all over again. Yeah. yeah no, the, uh, you know, the only time I got really pissed, I don't know if, Brad, remember when I got pissed when I didn't get my Amazing Spider-Man Legends figure for the... <laughs> the midnight screening of amazing spider-man yeah he threw a little tantrum i did i said it's not fair and then afterwards they felt bad and they waited for me at the end of the uh movie and gave me it because things like this should not happen to a manager of a qdoba that's right this is fucking bullshit (laughs) i am the biggest spider-man fan in this fucking theater um it was weird because that will never get queso again (laughs) yeah if you pre- uh, bought the ticket you were given this action figure but they didn't give it to the imax people they only gave it if you had the normal uh screening which i thought was really weird yeah. but i got it because they said you know what he is a good customer and he loves spider-man and that's ryan of the real nerds and we can't afford to yeah. have them bad-mouthing our theater on their podcast and that's exactly how it went down yeah. <laughs> and he caved and then, and then we let his family go. <laughs> All right, Timmy, go say hi to your dad again. <laughs> um, I had two things on the Dracula experience. Number one, like that gal who was asking for the pin, she was like specifically, she was like, I wanted was hoping for the bride of Frankenstein, and I was like, I she must be in love with the imagery. It has to be that similar thing where people like the look of Harley Quinn, where like they just like love the oh, imagery. Maybe. I, I don't know. I couldn't tell. I, I mean, it's, I was just, a, it's a brilliant movie. So, I mean, if she's there oh, watching Dracula, I'm yeah. guessing she likes the movie. Right. Which <laughs> we've, we've said this about Dracula before in the past. And I, I still love that movie unabashedly. I'll never not love it. It, it did scare me at the proper age of like eight, 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 eight or nine. But um, Lugosi and um, Dwight Fry are brilliant in that movie. And then you have to, and and so is Edward Van Sloan. But then you have to suffer through the drawing room drama <laughs> of the yep. his Hamilton Dean <laughs> drawing room nonsense before we get back to any vampire action. Um, so it does. There is that slog in the middle of the movie that thankfully is more broken up with some interesting moments than I ever rem- than I remember because it's like there are like interesting moments with Mina. Um, doing the seduction scene when after like clearly she's trying to bite into Jonathan but if you watch the Mm -hmm. Spanish version it's done 10 times better because it just feels more pre-code like forbidden Um, and like also uh, Dwight Fry plays well on a big screen like looking at his mad eyes on a big screen is one of the coolest things you'll ever see like that scene where he's looking up from the ship and he's going doing that (laughs) that 
that fucking look is is just beautiful on a big screen. It's wonderful. Agreed. Um, I uh, because of WandaVision, I watch a lot of Modern Family, and it's a great show. And as I was watching, I says, you know, they really don't make sitcoms like this anymore, where it's really just family oriented, and there's really no big scandals, and um, it's just a fun family friendly sitcom. About, if you like, don't watch first... Modern. Yeah. Or I have mean, you seen Kim's Convenience? Nope, don't care. I'm talking about Modern Family. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I uh no, I haven't. It, it keeps on showing up in my queue to watch it though. Um Watch it. Watch it. But yeah, it's just it's kind of fun just when you just have, you know, a family dynamic and no one's trying to uh sleep with anybody else really. You know, it's just not modern family. Oh, I'm I'm thinking uh, married with children. Never mind. Never mind. Modern family. Yeah, no. Why? I don't, don't think modern think? family is. Yeah. I no, mean, the only thing I could say. I mean, I don't care. But I mean, it deals with um, gay couples and adoption is maybe oh, the most. That's not race, racy thing they have going. That's, that's not that's, controversial. That's, I know that's what I mean. Like I'm trying to think. I don't think there's really anything controversial about this, it. This um, is my this is my fault, Ryan. I was confusing this with Married with Children because I was thinking back to years ago when you re- were rewatching Married with Children. <laughs> yep, yeah, Married Children was funny during its time. Um, I, I watched some Harley Quinn. Uh, it's still a great show. It looks great on Blu-ray. Um, and I watched a a couple old horror films. I watched My Bloody Valentine, which it's from 1980, maybe 81. Um, it is Canadian. And it's really funny when you watch it, you really pick up their Canadian accents. <laughs> you know, they'll say, I'm just trying to go down to the mine, you know. <laughs> it's uh, good stuff. Um, but it is pretty gory. And uh, I mean, the story is silly. It's about this mine worker who gets trapped in a mine. And then he doesn't like Valentine's Day. So he always comes back every Valentine's Day. If you celebrate it. Now, they didn't celebrate it for 20 years. So when they decided they're going to celebrate it again, he shows up and starts carving out their hearts. So, like, the the special effects and the gore is pretty fun in it. Um, the, there's a lot of, uh, I guess because it's Canadian, I'll say Degrassi melodrama to the, the movie. <laughs> That's um, true. But it's not, It's but it's not as... It's not as uh, explicit as Degrassi in, in My Bloody Valentine. No, they also definitely have the Crazy Ralph character saying, mm-hmm. if you have a, a Valentine's Day party, you're all doomed. See, now everybody <laughs> seems to think I don't like Valentine's Day because I can't get, get get a relationship going. That's not true. I'm trying to protect us from demented miners who got cursed out by a, by a mine shaft falling in on him. I'm just trying to protect us all from murderous miners. That's all I'm trying it to is really, It is really interesting, though, how Friday the 13th uh, really influenced all these uh, horror films around this time because there's a twist in My Bloody Valentine that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, it's more of, it's not who you think it is. It's this person. Um, it's because they took because they, they took the wrong lessons from Sean. Like they took yeah. The, well, yeah, the motivation doesn't make any sense. You you really, you know, with slasher films, uh, Corinne, you know, you go for the show of how people are going to die. You really don't care how they get there. <laughs> um, 
It's not about the. It's not about Still the uh, end result. It's not about the end oh, result, no, Corinne. It's, it's it's about the bodies hacked along the way. <laughs> yeah, no, Corinne, you'd hate this one. I mean, they literally put hearts in um, candy heart boxes instead of the chocolate. It's people's Ew. cut out hearts. No, uh, Corinne. No, no, Corinne. It's great. It's great. <laughs> it's fun, but you really have to like these kind of movies. Um, mm. We. Brad and I were talking when I sent him my 81 film explosion list. And I was curious if Corinne was going to do one because it's, there's so many slasher movies from 1981. It's kind of ridiculous. Do you want me to spoil my answer? (laughs) I'm going to say no. (laughs) Corinne should watch Friday the 13th part one because it's the least, it's the least, um, I don't want to say intense. It's it's the least uh, offensive visually, by comparison to everything that comes after it. Like, would yeah. that be appropriate? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, um, it's more of a thriller. Um, you've uh, seen yeah, April and, uh, Fool's uh, Day, right? What? Yeah, yeah you've right. seen April, April Fool's Day gets freaking weird. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one too. Um, I obviously haven't seen that. The, that one's a little more silly too. You might like April Fool's Day. Um, yeah, they kind of subvert it at the end. It's it's interesting. Yeah, the Scream Factory Collector's Edition is fun. Um, and the last thing I watched this week is the uh, the original Fly from 1952 or four. I can't Help remember. Me. Help me. Um, uh, in the movie, uh, this scientist it's he's trying to move matter from one container to a next to it the next and um (laughs) he decides to up it to living things first it's their cat that goes bye-bye um and then he does the guinea pig and then he turns himself into a guinea pig a fly gets into the zach do you remember the name of his it's the the machine he uses, I, you, could yeah, not, it's you could not beat that out of me if you tried. Like, I don't remember. It's so 1950s, radioactive, nuclear family. <laughs> like, I'm looking it up now because I got I to gotta remember that. It's been a while since I've rewatched the original Fly. I go back to Cronenberg's The Fly more often than not. But, um, uh, but it's really interesting. Uh, everyone thinks his wife murdered his doctor. And... As you watch the film, you find out that he's turned himself into a fly monster, and um, it's uh, it's a it's a pretty cool movie. And I think like the monster effects in it look really cool. Um, and Vincent Price plays the straight man in it, which is really unusual because you get used to him from you know his later horror films and things like that. Um, it's a it's a pretty effective like sci-fi horror film from the fifties. I think so. Um, yeah. It's, it's darker than it's, it's darker than you'd think. Like, yeah. That uh, help me part is always pretty creepy, even though it's so uh, parodied now. I mean, between the Simpsons and everything else that, and that joke I just um, did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, and then, you know, Zach doing the joke, yeah. but when you watch it in the context of the film, it it, it lands pretty, <laughs> pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, I I can't find the name of it, but it is just the same matter transportation. I need to rewatch the movie because I you told me that yeah, box set is now super inexpensive, and I'm like, I'm getting that shit. Daisy, uh oh, what did Daisy yeah. do now? 
that, that that's my wife interrupting my podcast. It's okay, and she, flipping she, me off. She loves does me. She, does she? We, charge we've been for married cam- for almost ten years. Does Laura charge for cameo appearances and, uh, on the show? Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I know. On Friday, it's crazy how fast time goes by. You know who I forget is in the fly? Ryan is Herbert Marshall. That's always that 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 I don't remember. Now I need to rewatch. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So uh, to piggyback off what Zach said, you can get it at Walmart for I think thirty six dollars, and it mm-hmm. comes with all five of the Fly movies. Yeah, uh, Return of the Fly, Curse of the Fly, and then the two, the Cronenberg one and the one they made after the Cronenberg one. Yeah, and they come with new special features, which I uh, I'll have to get into. But yeah, I mean it's worth it. I mean, 38 bucks for five movies and, you know, screen puts it in a really nice looking box and, you know, if you like horror films, as always. And uh, one one day, Corinne, I'll get you to like horror films one day. No. And and you'll go, man, horror films are great. (laughs) Corinne, will you watch the remake of The Fly? No, that's no, you can't let her watch that, dude. What if I told you? What if I told you it was produced by Mel Brooks? Would that ease the tension? What if they make another version of The Fly, a remake, but Colin Firth is a scientist who then turns into a fly? Then he would be in (laughs) fly makeup the whole no. What? what Jeff Goldblum wasn't in fly makeup the whole time. What if? What if? um, Well, yeah, no, it's (laughs) it's more. Well, he. He gets gross over the course of the movie. I've seen clips of (laughs) Jeff Goldblum in The Fly, and that is disgusting. Clips don't do it justice, Corinne. You need to watch all of the body horror. Um, You know what? Here, I've got an idea. You were talking about the Canadian accents in My Bloody Valentine, and and when you made the the noises, Ryan, it kind of sounded Fargo-esque. What if we get the Coen brothers to remake My Bloody Valentine, but make it kind of quirky so that Corinne can enjoy it? It'll still be violent. (laughs) But you know yeah. they can, you know they can they can have Francis McDormand from Fargo come in to solve the mystery of the bloody Valentine mm. killer. Like it'd be perfect. <laughs> so That'd make be, it kind of like I'd that never. freaky movie. What? Yeah, I'm down. Like the freaky movie that came yeah. out. Yeah, which you didn't see either, did you? I didn't. No. God dang it, Karen! Karen now I have to uh, jump on Ryan's side of the argument. You've got to watch Freaky. That's just fun. It's not scary. That was really. still pretty violent, though. But. I'll have to watch again, Corinne, and I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. I mean, the opening the opening is intense, and then it becomes slasher silliness, but still effective slasher stuff. Like, you know, if you want me to watch anything, it's probably going to be the rest of the Hannibal TV show because I feel like I go. can manage that. Everything well, else, I don't know. I mean, if so you my- can't. If you can't handle an 80s slasher movie, I don't know how you're going to handle season three of Hannibal. Fast forward. So my wife (laughs) has this like heating pad that I don't know what's in it, but she microwaves it. And it smells like our house is full of like stinky ass parts right now. Oh, so it's beans that she puts in a microwave. And now my dogs are like pacing going, what is that fart smell in our house? It's beans, the the magical fruit. The more they eat, the (laughs) more they toot. Right. Uh, speaking of Francis McDermott, uh, our film of the week is Nomadland. Corinne, should people see Nomadland? I didn't see it, so I don't know. Okay. All right. Um, Brad, should people see Nomadland? Uh, yeah, it's uh, an interesting bit of filmmaking. Um, 
yeah, I, I can't really talk about much else because it, it's not very terribly deep movie. Um, it's it's kind of like a a string of um, vignettes, really. Um, but I, I think the filmmaking process is, is interesting for it. Zach, I don't think it's perfect. Um, I I I do think that there is depth to the film. But there's it, it's more through an emotional through line of her not wanting to settle down in one place. But um, I think that I, I found some moments a little disingenuous, but I really liked watching Francis McDormand and David Strathairn um, uh, and their interaction throughout the, the movie and just the the scope that Chloe Zhao brings to it. So, yeah, I would I would definitely check it out. Wait, David um, Strathairn's in this movie? Oh yeah, yeah Corinne. Oh, we'll then, talk about yeah, him. people should go see it. Duh. But but Corinne, you should have watched it first. I mean, yeah, doesn't matter. Great movie, hundred I mean, percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I mean, you you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't like the scene where David Strathairn um, stabs somebody, you know, because it gets a little horror esque. At the, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, people should go see it. So. The movie is very nice and poetic, but if I had to pick like the style of kind of movies I don't like, it's definitely movies like Nomadland. Yeah, I kind of figured um, this would be your response. <laughs> but I, it, not to say uh, it's not a good movie. It's just I will probably never watch it again. Here's a trailer for Nomadland. My dad used to say what's remembered lives it's been many years since i started out for that goal i maybe spent too much of my life just remembering finding bits and pieces all worth the reach i'll carry it on driving down the highway roll down the window what the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. Let's just say I'll, I'll see you down the road. Sweet, this is going to be an easy review because, I mean, nothing happens in this movie. Frances McDermott's husband dies and she has to leave her job and then she goes to different jobs and meets people. The end. <laughs> well, there's there's more going on than just... I, that, that's the basic plot, yeah. Um, I mean, Wait, like, what, that, what else is going on? <laughs> there's interesting elements to this like story in terms of like, how do we tell a modern yeah. era kind of depression story? Oh, Let's start with the fact that because factory jobs shut down, an entire zip code is wiped off the map of the U.S. Yeah, like, was, that's I was, interesting. I was immediately devastated by that that yeah. text of like they erased an entire zip code because the factory shut down. That's that, you know, like that's crazy. That, that's fucking bananas. And then to have like, did her husband just die, or did, I think I thought he committed suicide. I think she. He, they they said he slowly died. 
Yeah, she he died of cancer. She's yeah. or so, some disease. She's talking to that one lady who uh, is dying as well when she's yeah, cutting uh, her hair about swanky. it. Swanky, swanky, yeah. Which I guess like she and Linda May and the Bob Wells character are all actual people um, yeah. who live this minimalist lifestyle. Which I, 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 I'm acquainted with one or two people who do this. Um, but I don't know the exact details of like what they attempt to do with it. Um, but the, the movie made it seem like a lot of these people, um, despite their reasoning at some, at some part of their core, they're doing it because of a loss, Mm -hmm. uh, which I don't think is fair. I think maybe people just do it because, um, they enjoy it. Um, Yeah. doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to have a tragedy attached to it. No, I mean we're friends with Risa Scott, and she does our. She travels in her RV, like that's her. That's her. That's that's what she does. Yeah, like, a couple times they do make the point of uh, it's a it's a it's an economic thing where it just mm. makes more sense than owning a house for these people, given how like what it takes to own a house these days. Right, but which yeah, I mean the, I do like because, the line where she says, "I'm not homeless, I'm houseless," mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is an, an interesting moment. Uh, I mean, the movie is beautiful. I mean, it's really well made. The acting in it is really great. I think it's cool that it's, it's kind just, of like a documentary that has a narrative inserted into it. Yeah, because it feels really natural. You know, the character of Fern, uh, some of the how she, her, she talks and stuff, it doesn't feel like a script, if that makes sense. Yeah. Even um, though it feels like it's naturally unfolding for her. Like, this is like just a camera is following around an actual person named Fern. Like, but this is these kind of films are ones I'll never get. Um, you know, everybody keeps tons of praise on it, and as I watch it, I go, "Man, there's really nothing happening in this movie." And I, it's the just it's like these kind of independent films are the bane of my existence. <laughs> I, I, well, so Ryan, I'll slightly agree with you because one of my issues with it is that there's more meandering in it than I imagined there would be. Um, which, which while it provides the atmosphere that I'm looking for, I do kind of, I wish there was a little bit more navigation and less meditation, um, on the imagery. Like, I mean, but the imagery itself is pretty damn beautiful. So I don't know what I would like. I don't know what I would take out of the edit. Um, no, I, think, I, I mean, yeah. I, the, the film is what it is. And it's, like I said, it's well made. It's well acted. It's the cinematography is really nice. But it just doesn't uh, click with you the way that. Yeah, it, these are just know. these are just the kind of movies that I I want blockbusters to come back so bad. I just want to have fun. That's yeah, all it, I want. It's a very internal story because you're you're it's really I'd say like seventy percent of it is you're watching this uh, woman I guess well, Fern internalize a struggle she's having, yeah. and then the other thirty percent is you're watching three or four other people and just like what their experience is it. Uh, in relationship to hers, um, but one of the best uh, moments in the theater this year, though, is that uh, when uh, Dave dropped her plates on the ground. Like oh, in my God. head, I said, "Aw, Dave!" But literally, <laughs> the theater yelled out, "Aw, Dave!" Because <laughs> we all felt it. Like that's how good uh, those few scenes about her plates uh, impacted people, as they made the, <laughs> the audience shout out. Uh, you know what? I had a reaction watching it where at first I was like, oh shit. And then I was just like, don't you dare yell at Dave. 
but it's also a bit <laughs> contrived because like would Fern really put those in that box and then leave like the bottom of the box open like that? I don't I don't think we can apply the plot hole movie nerd logic to a movie like Nomadland, Brad. I think you'll need to let that one go. No, I, I agree with Brad because if she cared about the plates that much, she wouldn't have put them in a box like that. She's living in a van. She may not have the space. <laughs> She's she, so articulate. She like builds little cubbies and like, brags I mean. she, about how intricate they are. She talked about how she put them in that cubby because they're special to her and she didn't want anything to happen to them. Mm, all right. That was like 30 minutes before that scene happened. The bottom of that back box was full, like not sealed, completely flimsy. It was so dumb. Like she could have done that herself and broke them. Like it was. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I have a question. I, I don't know what this movie like. I, I had I had an issue with the Amazon scenes. <laughs> I I felt like. Why? I, g- given. Given the backlash we've heard from working conditions in those those warehouses, like it feels weird that it doesn't like take it to task the way it could. But I guess also if you're going to have the Amazon logo, you're not allowed to go into that territory. Yeah, so. or like, that... they got permission to film because they weren't going to badmouth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it just I don't know why. Or not can... everybody dislikes working for Amazon. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know not everybody. They, they also does, give but... they also give thousands of jobs to people too. I know. Again, and like for I just people that need the job. I, I again, I'm not, I'm not discouraging, discounting that. I'm just trying to figure out, like, in the get, given, given where like people w- look one way or another at Amazon, it just kind of felt weird to see that emblazoned on it. But I got more into this settled notion of like, there's a lot of product placement in this movie that I wasn't expecting, and I realized it's like this is literally like all those people would have access to, like all they would have access to is is a Campbell's soup or, um, you know, going to these RV conventions and like having progressive right up there. Like I just found it kind of fascinating in a movie that would normally not have that kind of product placement with this kind of indie atmosphere and vibe. It was kind of interesting to see all of that emblazoned about. I think it's part of the, like there's a documentary style to it. Mm -hmm. Like, like America is so commercialized, like you're just going to run into that no matter right. what, which does run, run into it. It's so like, again, like I, I, I was just more like kind of, I guess I felt reactionary to the Amazon stuff on it, but like product the, placement, product placement, Taco Bell. <laughs> um, Any uh, Kung Pao under the fist fans out there. Yep. That's a deep cut. My friends, Oh God! Maybe we could do a retro review for that movie if the. I'm down. <laughs> um, a movie but... my wife probably hates. I don't know if she's ever seen it, but oh my gosh, you can imagine her sitting through it. I remember going to the theater for it, thinking it was a sincere but silly kung fu movie, and then walking out confused. Ryan, uh, kung and then I got the fist, honey. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, Laura has a funny story about that. You can tell it on the podcast. We talk about movies. <laughs> do you know how many speeding tickets i have yeah three because when you came over to my insurance the lady's like oh man she had a bad month and your insurance is going way up i remember yeah so when i was in driving school my driving school instructor on the first day was like you guys know this and we watched compound into the fist for our afternoon nice and did you love it no i did not <laughs> now your shirt is purple <laughs> <laughs> 
fuck, I'm going to watch that tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Isn't Betty a woman's name? (laughs) Love that movie. Um, Sure. But anyway, back, back to Nomadland. Um, also, how See, much... Kung Pao and Fist is more fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah, which is why I was suggesting we do a retro review of it. Um, but uh, also, like, Zhao gets a lot of play out of locations that must have been not easy, but less uh, troubling to acquire permission to film in. Because like the, like going into those abandoned factories and stuff like that, like well, technically, I don't think you need permission to film on national forest property. No, well, no, I was more referring to like the the old gypsum factory at the end, like uh-huh. that property. Like I can't imagine that the property is not technically still owned by somebody. Um, uh, you actually do need a permit to film a national forest property. Yeah, because it's because that's national. That's that that's federal land. So you do. Yeah. Are you sure? Because. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. We because we, we have them out here, and um, you can, when you like, film in you Genesee, to... um, big chunks. Are you of sure that it's are... in the national forest though? Because you don't have to have like a camping permit or anything to s- sleep there. You can do whatever you want in national forests. Yeah, but no, you have there's... to have a a license or permit or whatever to do like guided tours and stuff. Because like, if think, you have a certain yeah. size of group, so I think it's like group size. You you need a permit, Ryan, to film on the property in case you're going to cause an obstruction to other participants or visitors to the encampment or to the land itself. So they do that as a precaution and also... So literally you could just go off the beaten path and film there and not have to worry about it. You could, but then you would be liable on your own end if something were to, God forbid, happen to you, which a film crew, a professional well, yeah, film crew... yeah, you said crew, Alpine Rescue. It happens up here all the time. <laughs> yeah, but a, fi- but a professional film crew with insurance companies up the wazoo is not going to take that chance. And oh, yeah, no, when, I know. When you, yeah. tell, when you tell them you're filming in the forest, they assume you're going to bring, like, lights and gear and start, like, driving into the land. Yeah, and also, like, if those lights are being... If those, li- those lights can get hot... Something goes wrong, hits a tree, forest fire, kaboom. Or why don't you guys just why don't you guys just have some balls and shoot it like gorilla style and go up there and shoot it and not ask for permission? Gosh. And then you and then when they come up project it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When they come up to say something, you say, you know what? I'm a United States citizen and the National Forest is our land. So Mr. Ranger Bill (laughs) fucking Woodsy the owl go fuck yourself can i can i use the same defense that teddy roosevelt would give where i'd be like speak softly and carry a big stick when it comes to that response ryan like <laughs> look right no. if if you commit to being our police officer on set um actually totally that would be a that. good that would be a good cover technically yeah <laughs> uh, could be like, no i'm not gonna repeat i'm not gonna use my authority <laughs> so that, that way so that no, ryan, use your so, power what are the forest borders of your unnamed city? <laughs> it's Arapahoe National Forest. Okay. Gotcha. I know you can't fly a drone over to forest land either, so there's that. Um, yep. It's over most public property around here. Yep. Yep. And also, yeah, also to wrap it up, though, guys, I, w- I want to I wanna piggyback off of Corinne's praise for David Strathairn. Why, why haven't we given him, like, some kind of, like, oscar thing or whatever like oh my god zach not everyone needs a trophy no i don't i know that nobody needs a trophy and especially given the award circuit this year it's a whole bunch of horseshit but i kind of want david strathairn to be recognized because i'm tired of him being ignored i recognized him in this movie he was in other movies i saw too yeah i know i know (laughs) 
I just want I just want the establishment that currently means nothing given the state of the world to acknowledge David Strathairn for the badass he's always been. He's a he's an actor who gets work. He, I'm sure he's satisfied. That is true. He Did has received in- a primetime Emmy Award and been nominated for an Academy Award. Wow, we all know what Oscar nomination that was for. Also, he was in a Godzilla movie, so he's already won. True. Is yeah. he going to be in the Godzilla vs. Kong movie? Hopefully. If, if he isn't, <laughs> it'll be the worst entry in the series. <laughs> yeah. All Godzilla movies were inferior until David Strathairn showed up. <laughs> they had nothing going for him. So uh, what are we watching next week, boys and lady? Jason um, the Black Messiah. Tom and Jerry is opening next week. I love the contrast between those two selections. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to feel bad because it is Black History Month and we haven't, as 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 rough as it is to deal with, I, I might have to err on the side of we should probably give Judas and the Black Messiah a headliner. It's a, it's a movie I'm already planning to see anyway, um, along with Minari. So, um, and Tom and Jerry will be available too for for a hot minute because that's probably going to be like the Sonic of the year where. Makes all the money. Is it possible to do a double feature? I mean, one would be a little bit more of a heavy talk, and then we could lighten it up with Tom and Jerry afterward. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to remember. I know there was something else coming out, but I'm I could be crazy. Ryan, did we see a trailer for something that I'm forgetting at the when we went to wait? Dra- was Dracula? was one night in Miami in January? I guess yeah, so. it was in January. Yes. Yeah, and Ma Rainey too. Gee. Yeah, Ma Rainey, Ma Rainey came December. out at the end of December. God, yeah. man, time goes by too fast. I can't remember. In the absence of blockbusters, like we were just left I mean, with dramas. So I mean, I know it's fucking killing me. I mean, maybe if Brad posts our episodes when they're supposed to come up, I won't forget. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, at least Tom and Jerry would be different tonally than the movies that the nerds have been watching recently. That's what I'm saying. But no, I, I agree. It'd be fun, but I just I've. The optics of, you know, we've passed on for four weeks of like no black history movies. <laughs> so, and it's, and I, and I after mean, we a, pledged to completely delete a week of episodes, you know, last year for it. So, and it is a movie that's got some actors I know we're going to enjoy watching in it. So, it'd be worth giving it a shot. All right. I, I we guess could, you guys made the decision. I, I don't I, care. <laughs> we could do both. I just, you know, I'm always cautious of, you know, what's coming yeah. up. Is there enough? You know, we do have a film explosion, so that takes care of that. But Hollywood is not committed to regular releases. So I think they will eventually because with New York opening, I'm sure California is not that far behind. I'm guessing, like I said at the beginning of the year, I think Black Widow will be the first big movie. May 7th. It makes the most sense. Um, But yeah, I'm down for a double bill if we want to do that and kind of like balance out the scales a little bit. Well, it's it's always hard too because we got to make sure we have films that can fill fill um, the other weeks. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's I, true. I, I think. So, yeah, I Judas, think Judas sounds like the best option. But I mean, yeah, Tom and Jerry's just coming out, and Judas has been out for I think three weeks, and it is leaving HBO Max relatively soon, like so, seven days from now. So, yeah. But then that wouldn't leave a lot of time for the listeners to watch it if they if we gave it good feedback or something it, it will still be in theaters because it is on an award an awards run right now um mm. not the, for at least daniel kaluuya's performance 
But anyway, and right. then I'm actually trying to remember is Go- Godzilla versus Kong in March? Yes. Okay. Side note, David Strathairn is not in that movie. Well, then it's going to be the worst fucking movie of the year. God damn it. Man, I'm just going to have a lot of stuff. God damn it. It's got to save him for Godzilla Kong too. No, no, no. Nomad Land versus Kong versus Godzilla. Francis McDormand fights them both. All right. <laughs> did, I really, did, did I really? Did I kill the episode with my yeah, wonderful that was idea? The dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, it's not. You're just splicing whatever movies in the front Mar- of your face together. Marge, Marge Gunderson puts Kong in the back of a police car and goes, "I have seen you put your lizard accomplice there in the wood chipper, and for what? All that money? No hey, consideration wait. for structure or." <laughs> Anyways, you just we don't understand movies. my brain. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.